for your goodness and your mercy. Has God been merciful for your goodness? Your goodness for your he must not have been good to anybody this morning. But for your goodness and your mercies, we offer praise. We offer praise. We offer praise. We offer praise for your goodness. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy. You've been so merciful. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Good morning, true spirit. Mm, his goodness and his mercy. Thank you, God. Good morning, True Spirit. What a, what a beautiful day. A beautiful day to have the opportunity to stand in front of you and present God's word to the pastor in his absence, First Lady. Thank you for this opportunity to minister. There is a word from the Lord. We're going to jump in because God gave me a lot. So are you ready to jump in? Amen, amen. I need you to go ahead and, and flip over to the seventh book of your Bible, Judges, chapter 2, starting at the first verse. And if you can stand in reverence of the Lord's word. And when you found Judges 2, just say word. Judges 2. It reads. And I'm reading out of uh, the book, the book. If you don't have the book, get the book. It's great. It says, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum with a message for the Israelites. He told them, I brought you out of Egypt into this land that I swore to give your ancestors. And I said, I would never break my covenant with you for your part you are not to make any covenants with the people living in this land. Instead, you were to destroy their altars. Why then have you the people living in your land? Oh, I'd have missed, missed a line. Excuse me. It says, why then have you disobeyed my commands? Since you have done this, I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be like thorns in your side. And their gods will be a constant temptation to you. When the angel of the Lord finished speaking, the Israelites wept loudly. Lord, remove these words right now, God. Place them into our hearts, Lord God. Open the minds of your people, Lord God. We surrender it all to you right now, God. We ask that you just remove self and you bring spirit here. Lord, that you'll use me as a vessel. Fill me up so I can overflow on your people. Amen. 
I know I do this every time I get up here to preach, but uh, if you've not read the, the book of Judges, you should definitely take a dive into the book of Judges. Um, it, it talks about the, the human condition and, and warfare, and it gives you some tactics. It talks about cutting off thumbs and big toes and talks about stabbing someone in the stomach to where the handle of the knife gets caught. Judges is a very interesting book. As I was preparing for this message, I was reminded of 2017 when Representative Maxine Waters was in a a meeting. She was asking some questions and someone was answering, but they weren't answering the question she was asking. And she continued to say, reclaiming my time. The, the, the title of the message today is Reclaiming the Promises. Reclaiming the promise. Somebody say that. Reclaiming the Promises. See, a lot of times we have allowed people to claim our time, whether that be with gossip, whether that be with background checks, whether that be with lying. We've allowed people to to, to claim our time. But but we, we have to also realize that We've also been guilty of claiming people's time. Whether that be with gossip, lying, excuses, distractions. We've we've been wasting people's time. We've also allowed people to claim our stories. You're a sinner. You're addicted to something. You're not fit. We've allowed people to claim our story so much that we've even forgotten what's true and what's false. The Lord said it's time to reclaim your promises. It's time to reclaim these things that you've allowed others to take ownership of that I've already given you the promise for. Now, I had to go and take a look at this word reclaim, to reclaim. What what does this mean? What are the different variations of this word? Merriam-Webster tells me that the first definition of reclaiming is to recall from wrong or improper use. To recall. recall. Immediately, I started thinking about a car. And when you get that notice in the mail that says there's a recall on the car, you have to take that car in so that they can fix it because that recall poses a threat to your safety. There's things in your life that you need to recall because they're posing a threat to your safety. The second definition that I received was To rescue from an undesirable state 
to rescue. Anybody need to be rescued? Anything in your life that needs to be rescued right now? Do you need to reclaim some stuff in your life that needs to be rescued because it's in an undesirable state? The third definition that they gave me was to make available for human use by changing its natural condition. I said, well, well come on now. Because then I started to think about plastic bottles and how you reclaim plastic bottles for other uses. We don't just throw them away like they're trash. And sometimes we do. We don't recycle. We need to start recycling. Because you can reclaim this material and use it. There, there's, I'm going somewhere with this. You'll catch it, you'll catch it in a minute. But, but this last one, this last one is, is my favorite. It says to demand or obtain the return of something. To de demand. There's some things that you need to demand in your life that you've given other people power over. Whether that's demanding your story, whether that's demanding your peace, whether that's demanding your joy, we need to reclaim some things today. So jumping into the text, we, we find ourselves with the Israelites. Now, if you've studied the Israelites, you'll know that this is after God has delivered them from Egypt. He, he's taking them through the Jordan River. He's, he's taking them through the wilderness. He's delivered them from bondage. But we find ourselves in a point where the Israelites have forgotten where they come from. As so many of us do, especially in my generation, we forget where we come from. Now, the danger in that, we'll, we'll notice the danger in that is when you forget where you come from, you, you don't know where you're going. See, the, the Bible reveals to us that he had already ordained this land for the ancestors of the people, meaning that the land was theirs. But because they had forgotten who they were, or where they came from, they decided to tarry from the plan of God. Isn't it funny that God continues to reveal things to us? He's revealed things to our parents. He's revealed things to our grandparents. And yet we still don't walk in that purpose. Isn't it funny that, that God even tells us, hey, I've given you this land. I've given you this business plan. I've given you this spouse. But yet, you forgot where you came from. The danger in that also is that you start to, to gain fear because you don't know what God has already brought you through, brought your parents through, brought your family through, brought your church through. You begin to get weary and and unfocused around what God has for you. And the Israelites are in a very peculiar place because they're, they're now at a place where Moses has died. That was their leader out of Egypt. And now we, we find that Joshua was the leader after that, the successor to Moses. 
And now Joshua is dead. And no new leader has been appointed. That's interesting. Because we place our value in human leadership. And when we do that, it, it sets us up for failure. Because then we, we get so attached to the man, to the woman, to the thing, that we forget who the true leader is. See, the Israelites have forgotten who that their true leader was, who was directing the feet, who was directing the steps of both Moses and Joshua. They have forgotten. Oftentimes we forget. We get into situations that are uncomfortable. We get into situations that are hard. We get into situations that are controversial, and we forget who the true leader is. So they're, they're in a place where they're, they're looking for leadership, but there's none to be found except for God. But they're not looking to God. So what do they start to do? They start to worship and intermingle with these Canaanite people. I said, well, well Lord, who... Who are these? Who are these people and, and why? What, what, what's the issue? What is, what is the issue with, you know, them intermixing with these people? Aren't we people of the, the world? He said, no, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're not of the world. We're in the world. So that means we, we have to address the issues of the world, but we're not of the world. But these Israelites had fallen victim to being of is anybody else fallen victim to being of the world sometimes? And so the issue is that the, the Israelites were now surrounded by people who lived in the most terrible, immortal, and adultery and consistently tempted them. We, we put ourselves into places where people can tempt us. Things can tempt us. Places can tempt us. We find ourselves surrounded by Canaanites, these pagan people, these people that were unbelievers of the gospel. And not only were they unbelievers of the gospel, they were tempting these people to do wrong. Anybody else get tempted on a daily basis by the things and the people that we interact with the most? Maybe it's the workplace. Maybe it's the, the club on the weekend. Maybe it's that friend group, that circle that you so love, but they're not directing you on a path that's leading you back to God. We get caught up because we lack leadership. We lack focus on who our true leader is. So when we start to look at the story, when we start to dive into this story, we, we notice that there's a pattern. There's a pattern of God saving them, them realizing that, thank you, Lord, for saving us. Then there's a period of sin. Let's call it how it is. There's a period of worshiping other gods, worshiping idols. There's a period of disobedience. I would say that there's some people in this place right now that are in a place of disobedience, this place of sin, 
this place of adultery, idolatry, all of the trees that you can find. So, so we see that from the Israelite perspective. But now when we look at God here in the same, this same scripture, we see a story of continued direction and deliverance. The Lord doesn't say, I'm not with you. He says, I'm now going to put some obstacles in your way because you made a decision. You made a decision to, to follow these other idols. You made a decision to not continue to trust me. You made a decision to fear. If you go back to chapter 1 of Judges, you'll notice that there were a series of small battles that the Lord had already told the Israelites to go and face. And it started off good. It started off with the, the tribe of Judah. If we, if we think about that tribe, that's the tribe that our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is going to come from later on in the book. So it was only fitting that the tribe of Judah go first. It foreshadows the fact that Jesus will go first in your battles. Jesus will go first in your situation if you let him. And so the Israelites let him at this point. You know, they, they battled, they battled. But then we find at the end of this, this first battle, it says that they lacked full trust in God. And how do we know this? It said that they didn't go against this tribe that had chariots of iron. Now, I know that my God is all-powerful. I know that my God has my back. And I know that he's been with us in these other battles. So why is it that I was too fearful to take on the battle of this tribe that might have some more advanced technology than I might have? We so often allow ourselves to get wrapped up, tied up, and tangled up in fear. And that's, that's worldly fear. That we forget that we need to have the fear of God to know that he will direct our path. Now, I, I talked about the fear last time I was able to preach, and, and I talked about the fear of God being respect, honor, guidance of the Lord. But we tend to attach fear to lack, not doing. Not even trying, making excuses, being distracted. We attach fear to those things. And we never attach fear to the fear of God where we're respecting and honoring his word. We're respecting and honoring his promise. We're respecting and honoring what he has told us to do. The Lord is telling you to do something right now, and you're walking in fear. I'm, I'm encouraging you to get out of fear of the worldly things and get into the fear of God. We also see that there's another story happening here. And it's a story that, uh, of justice and mercy. The Lord said, you, you are not keeping my commands, so there's going to be punishment. But know that I'm still with you. And when you cry out, I will come and save you. See, we, we've lost the reasoning to cry out because we don't understand that the Lord is both justice and mercy. He's both justice 
and mercy. He's both justice. It, nobody else knows that he's both justice. Because I, I, I know there's some areas in our life where we feel like we've been wronged. We feel like somebody, something, someone has done us wrong. I was scammed this week. I'm just going to put it out there. And I felt like I was wronged. But I had to realize that I serve a God who's both justice and mercy. So, yes, I, yes, I was scammed, but he's both justice, so that means I don't have to take justice. But he's also mercy, meaning that I'm okay. I am just fine. Because I know that I serve a God of both justice and mercy. So we, we find that these, these, these people are living amongst the Canaanite people. They're worshiping and serving idols. They're, they're not honoring and obeying the Lord. And this angers him. And he, he's telling the people, I'm, I'm letting you know. See, we serve a God that's going to let you know. You did wrong. You made me feel this type of way. Here's the consequence. But if we dive deeper into the word, if we go over here to, to uh, the, the 22nd chapter, the 22nd uh, verse in the second chapter, it says, I did this to test Israel to see whether or not they would obey the Lord as their ancestors did. If we drop down to then chapter 3, it says the Lord left certain nations in the land to test these Israelites who had not participated in the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had not experienced battle. I said, Lord, why, why would you want to test your people in battle? Why did you want to see if they were going to obey you in that way? You could have done other things. The Lord said, the Christian religion is a battlefield. He said that the Christian religion is warfare. And if I don't train you in my safety, the world is going to consume you. And so what he's saying here is that he doesn't want no weak, wimpy warriors. He's saying that he wants you to be well prepared. He wants you to be strong in battle. He wants you to be sure, but he also wants you to obey. And when you don't obey, like the Israelite people, you start to worship idols. You start to worship money. You start to worship status. You start to worship sex. You start to worship sin. And so he said that, I need you to be well prepared in battle. And you didn't have to fight the fights of your ancestors, but since you didn't want to listen, since you forgot who you were, I'm going to send you into battle so you understand who you are. But even more, I'm going to send you into battle to understand who I am. Because I am the I am. I am the first and the last. I am the God of your ancestors. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the I am. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good word. So he, 
he, he's sending these, these people into battle and saying, I need you to get prepared. Because though this land is promised to you, you still have to work for it. We've strayed away from working. We've strayed away from battle. We've strayed away from putting on the full armor of God. We've strayed away from that. And the danger in that is that we start losing ourselves. And the, the Bible tells me, and thank you so much, Deacon Little John, for reading that today, because that directly correlated. The Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So we're not wrestling against people. We're not wrestling against communities, but we're wrestling against principalities in high places. It's not physical, it's spiritual. It's not physical, it's mental. It's not physical, it's emotional. So we, we find that when we're not preparing ourselves for battle, we're depressed more often. When we're not preparing ourselves for battle, we're lonely more often. When we're not preparing ourselves for battle, we're sad more often. When we're not preparing ourselves for battle, we're heartbroken more often. When we're not preparing ourselves for battle, we lose sense of purpose. When we're not preparing ourselves for battle, we're in weakness. And this is when the enemy loves to attack. Because then he'll send something that looks good, smells good, strolls good. Listen, that's, a, that's good. And, and we get caught up in these idols. The Israelites got caught up. We have to be vigilant not to get caught up. Because then that's when we start to allow people to claim our story. We start letting people claim our time. We start letting people claim our purpose. And it's not theirs to claim. Now, how do you let somebody take charge of something that's not theirs but that's yours but we do it all the time and we do it in ways that don't make sense like if you know that person don't have no money why are you gonna loan them when you when you when you have a home and you know that people are doing things that are unbecoming of who you are, but you still allow them to stay at your home. When you work on a job where there's ethical things happening and you don't know who you serve, so you go and follow the... I, well, come on, come on, we, we have to be vigilant, not to be weak. And so we, we find... We find we find three battles that I'm going to highlight before I take my seat. We find three battles. The, the first battle, God rose up a judge. Now, I said, well, what? you, you should have just gave them another leader. Are these leaders? Who are these people, Lord? He said, well, let me, let me explain to you what a, a judge is. He said, a, a, a judge is someone who rises to leadership in the moment to perform a task 
and then they go back into obscurity. See, a lot of times we want to be the pastor when he just wants us to be a deacon. We want to be the praise leader when he wants us to be just on the praise team. He wants to put you in a leadership role for a specific purpose, but not that you're the leader, but that you are fulfilling a purpose. We can't get caught up in titles. We can't get caught up in this idea that I need to be the, the head person, but we need to realize that we've been called for a purpose. That once our purpose is fulfilled, he'll return us back to obscurity, and that's okay. He said that I, I, I specially gifted these people I chose. You're specially gifted. Say, I'm specially gifted. I'm specially gifted. Somebody received that I'm specially gifted for a purpose. So he, he raised these people up. And the first person we find is, is Othniel. And, and it tells me in the book that they were, the Israelites were in bondage for eight years before they cried out to Jesus, and Jesus lifted Othniel to take on this first battle. It was the battle of Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia, let me pronounce that correctly. And, and the battle was won, and, and Othniel went back into his obscure life. He, he received his accolades, and then he died. And what did the Israelites do? They went back to sin. Now, I, I want to reveal something to you that you might not be understanding. Uh, patterns reveal the person. Patterns reveal, somebody, can somebody receive that? Patterns reveal the person. And so when you see patterns in people, you need to pay attention. When you see patterns and things, if you've been passed for that promotion two or three times, you need to, to recognize what the, the pattern is. Either you're not doing what you're supposed to do to get you promoted, or they're not valuing the work that you're doing to get promoted. You also need to, to start to recognize the patterns in your family members. Because a lot of times it's hard to, to talk about family. It's hard to, to recognize generational curses within the family. And we always talking about breaking generational curses, but we don't even recognize the pattern. And so the pattern that we're seeing here with the Israelites is one of pray, cry out, get saved. I can't use that word here. Relapse. We'll go relapse. We'll go relapse. I was thinking about spades, and you know a word I was using if we were playing spades. See, we go and we relapse. So, so then, you know, the Lord says, perfect, so you've relapsed. You're going to be in bondage for another 18 years. 18 years of bondage. And they tell me that they were under bondage of this king named Eglon. And this was a fat king. They had to pay tribute to this king. This was a king that walked around and didn't care. He just wanted some more food, some more money. 
some more power. So, so after 18 years, the Israelites finally again called out and cried out and asked the Lord to save them. There's that pattern. So the Lord, because we serve a good, good father, we serve a good, good father, the Lord raises up another judge, another heroic leader. His name was Ehud. Now, they tell me that Ehud was a left-handed man. And this time, being left-handed was seen as a defect. It was seen as unworthy, unusable. Is there anything that you've been felt un unworthy, unusable? I, I stutter too much. I, I don't know how to love. I don't communicate. We've been told that we're unusable. But the Lord still raised this man up. The prophecy in that is that God will use your unusable thing to save a nation. Just like he raised Ehud up. And so you need to be comfortable in presenting your defects. You need to be comfortable in following the call that the Lord has placed on your life. Even though others have told you that you're useless. Even though others have told you that you're not going to be able to do that. Even though others have told you that what you have does not benefit my cause. Ehud was, was raised up. This left-handed man was raised up. And I, I want you to, to get the visual of how this man did it. He, he went to the king. Imagine. Just, I, need to, I need to talk to the king. I need to, to pay my tribute to the king. He walks in. Now, this is a left-handed man. So if you know anything about warfare in this time, everybody that fought in battle was right-handed, meaning that they kept their sword on their left side to be able to pull it. So when you walk into the king, they're not just going to let some random person walk in. They're going to check you. But they're only going to check your left side, because as a warrior, that's how you've been identified. But they sent Ehud, a left-handed man. So if I'm left-handed, that means that my sword has to be attached to my right side. Are you on the right side of God? Are you on the right side? So he was able to, to bring this sword. He was able to just waltz in there, bring this sword with him, and say, I have a message from the Lord for you. And the message, the message was not words at all. The Bible tells me that Ehud proceeds to, to whisper in, in this man's ear. And as he's whispering, he draws the sword and plunges it into the stomach of this man, Eglon. It says that the, the knife went so deep in that the handle got lost. A lot of times we're, we're, we're too soft on our sins. We're too soft on those things that are taking away our peace. We're too soft. And we don't finish the job. We have to dig in. We have to, to stick it in because and make sure it's dead because at the end of the day, if we allow it to tarry, it could come back. Ehud had to make sure the job was complete. And, and, and so then he, he, he leaves. He leaves. 
Can you imagine killing someone and then just walking out? Can you imagine the swagger? The Lord has ordained me, and you didn't check me. I just killed your king, and you ain't even know. Isn't it, isn't it fun to, 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 to have moments where you get to walk in the swag of God when you know that God has ordained you for something and you've just completed that task? And if you've not had that feeling, I, I, I ask you and I, I challenge you to keep living, keep seeking God's face because there is purpose for you. And there'll be a time where you can walk with the swag of God. You can walk with the grace of our Father. You can walk with your head held high. You can walk knowing that you've done exactly what God wanted you to do. And he proceeds to bring 10,000 men. They kill this, the military of this, and, and they go on about their day. So then it tells me that the Israelites, you know, were, were saved now. They're rescued. They, they can go back and, and regain their territory, their, their promise and there's another character, his name is Shemgar, you know, he's in there, he comes in there a little bit. We don't get to know much about Shemgar, but we do know that he killed about 600 Philistines with an ox god. Anybody know what an ox god is? I didn't, so I had to look it up, and I, I said, what is this? It, it, he brought me to a website, it said it's a traditional farming tool used to spur or guide livestock. Now, it, I... I was like, well, come on, God, to give me a connection because I'll go back to my definitions and it tells me that to make available for human use by changing its natural condition. So Shemgar used this ox god used to move livestock together to benefit people, to save people, to rescue people, to complete the purpose. I'm going to say that he said this is a rod. And I was reminded of another person that had a rod. His name was Moses. And the Lord anointed that rod. And he said, Moses, drop it on the ground. And that rod turned to a serpent. He said, Moses, pick that rod back up. And that rod turned back into a rod of God. And he said, use this rod to guide your people out of Egypt. He can use the most unexpected, unusual things to complete his purpose. Anybody want God to use something unusual in your life? Anybody want God to use something that you never thought about in your life? Some things that don't make sense. He uses Shemgar and this ox god. But then we go back to this pattern where they've been saved. But they forget once again and they fall back into sin. We, can, we continue as, as Christians to fall back into sin. We continue to be on this pattern of trusting God and then not trusting God, obeying God then not obeying God. We get on this pattern similar to the Israelites. So this time they were in bondage for 20 years. And that, that number 20 attacked me. Maybe it attacked me because we're in the year of 2020 and it's been a rough year. Maybe it was because the Lord was placing on my heart that someone's been in bondage for 20 years. 
20 weeks. If we think about when this started, we've been on quarantine, so almost 20 weeks. Now, this number 20, I said, well, okay, Lord, so, so what happened after the 20 years? He said, I'm going to do a new thing. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it up because obviously y'all not getting it. Let me, let me wrap this up. He said, I'm going to send Deborah. I'm going to send a woman. Because sometimes you need a woman to step into a place where men weren't finishing it. I'm so sorry, men. I'm so sorry. There's an order to this. He said, I sent the men first. And they didn't do what they were supposed to do. So I'm going to send a woman. And maybe this time. But listen, he didn't just send one woman. He sent two. And, and he used the first woman. To tell the man, Barack, because, and it's not Barack Obama, but Barack, he, she, the Lord, the Lord sends Deborah to tell Barack, like, listen, I'm going to go with you in this battle, but just know that you're not going to get any praise in this battle <laughs> because the Lord is going to hand over your enemy to a woman. Is there anything that you want to hand over just to a a woman, to your grandma, to your auntie, to your mother. There's some things you just need to hand over to a woman. And so we go into battle. This is a good word. We go into battle. This is the battle with Sisera. You've heard that battle before. If you've not, read on it because it's a good battle. But, but we go into this battle of Sisera. And, and these, whew, this, is a, this is good because there's so much. If you read from... From the first chapter, you understand that the tribe of Judah did not go attack another tribe because they had chariots of iron. So this is the battle where they go and confront those chariots of iron. God will bring you back to something that you avoided in the beginning because you still have to deal with it before you can claim what's yours. So often we think that if I just brush it over, if I just... Don't worry about it. If I don't talk about it, if I don't think about it, I don't think, let's, let's make it more real. If I, don't, if I don't think about him or her, if I don't think about that hurt, if I don't address the pain, it'll just go away. What God reveals here is that, no, I'm going to bring it back. Because at the end of the day, if you don't deal with it, it's still going to be holding you down. And how do you go into reclaiming the promise when you're still attached to things that are burdening you from your past. And so they go and confront this army of chariots. And it says the Lord is with them. And they defeat this army. But it, then it says that the leader, Sisera, escapes. He runs for his life and, and runs into the wife of Habar, the Kenite's house or tent. They were in a tent at this time. Now, if I'm a warrior running on battle, I guess a, a tent is safe. Um, I, I, I guess because I know that this family and my family, my kingdom, have a relationship, so I'm safe here. So he, he walks in with confidence. And he asked JL, this woman JL, because we started with Deborah, and Deborah told Barack, hey, 
this battle is not going to be yours. It's, it's going to be for a woman. Now, Barack probably thought it was for Deborah, but it turned out to be Jael. And this, this woman, Jael, this man walks in and, 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 and says, I'm staying here. I need you to hide me. And he also asked for a glass of water. Now, if, you're, if you've read this a little bit, you'll notice that J.L. is a defiant one. What does she do? She brings him a glass of warm milk. He asked for water. He's probably been running for his life. He needs something cold. But you give him a warm glass of milk. What this is saying to us is that we need to stop making the enemy comfortable in our space. We need to stop giving everything that they ask for and start doing what we know we should do. We need to stop making it acceptable for individuals to tell us what they want or what they need in our space. So JL gives him this warm glass of water, or, or, or of, of milk, and, and he proceeds to lay down and, and rest. Now, the Bible didn't say this, but I think she might have put some in that milk, but... The Bible didn't say that, so we're not going to go there. But, but he, he went to sleep. But I, I started to think about the properties of, of milk. What do you do with a baby when, when they're getting sleep? You, you, you give them a glass of warm milk. You, you relax them. JL said, relax. I'm not going to give you what you asked for, but I'm going to give you something else. It's going to put you to sleep. And then we noticed that while he was asleep, JL takes a peg and a hammer and nails it right into the skull of Sisera, killing him. Now, now that's not, that's not the testimony because the, the testimony is Barack and Deborah thought the battle was over. They thought they had won the fight. But what God is saying here is JL killed the sin. A lot of times we feel like we've won the battle, we've won the fight, but we don't kill the sin. We allow the sin to still be in our space. We allow the sin to still be in our minds. We allow the sin to still be in our groups. We allow the sin to still be in our workplace, in our home, in our church. We allow the sin to fester. What the Lord was saying here is uh, there's no time to fester. Kill it. Nail it to the ground. Is there some things you just need to nail to the ground? Whether that be depression, whether that be hurt, whether that be pain, whether that be a sickness, you just need to nail it to the ground. You need to kill that sin. Because though the battle looked like it was over, there was still sin out there lurking. There was still sin out there. And so... Barack comes to JL's home. And JL walks out with pride, with the swagger of God. She says, I have what you're looking for. Uh, you thought the battle was over? Ha, but I defeated sin. I killed sin. And I have what you're looking for. Come on in and see what I have. And what did he find? He found sin nailed to the ground. He found hurt nailed to the ground. 
He found bondage nailed to the ground. He found disrespect nailed to the ground. Hmm. Wow. Some of you need to find something nailed to the ground. Because the Lord, he said, I'm coming for you. The Lord said, I'm here with you now. The Lord said, reclaim your space, reclaim your promises. And before I take my seat, the Israelites, before this, this final battle, were, were captured for, for 20 years. The Lord said, some of you have been captured, claimed by something else for 20 years. You think back to 2000. <laughs> When you got that report from the doctor, you think back to 2000 when your child started acting up. You think back to 2000 when your finances weren't right. He said it's time for you to reclaim some stuff. He said, but, but listen, but listen, Cam, but listen. He said, I need you to tell my people something. He said, I have a message for them. He said that. There's three specific things that I need you to reclaim in the next three months. He said, you've been in bondage. You've been in quarantine. But there's three things. There's three things I need you to reclaim in the next three months. He said, the first one is reclaim your voice. He said, the Israelites were only saved when they cried out to the Lord. He said, some of you just need to cry out to him right now. You need to say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. He said, ask, and it shall be answered. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door, the door will be open. He said, but, but when you ask, when you find your voice, he said, remember, you have to believe and not doubt. You have to believe that I can do it. You have to believe that I am who I say I am. You have to believe that I will take care of you. But then he said, don't stop there. He said, it's time for you to reclaim your stuff. He said, there's some stuff that's just laying around. He said that you need to pick back up. You need to reclaim it. You need to recall it. You need to repurpose it. Whether it be that business plan, whether it be that marriage, whether it be that relationship, whether it be that job, whether it be that idea, whether it be that thought, you need to reclaim your stuff. You need to reclaim peace. You need to reclaim joy. But he said, this is the best one. And he said, we should have started here. But he said, I don't know if you would have made it if you would have started here. But he said, know that I am your savior. Know that I am your God. Know that I rolled you up this morning. And he said, this last one, we forget. He said, it's time to reclaim your praise. He said, it's time to reclaim your praise. It's time to lift up your hands. It's time to open up your mouth. It's time. Hey. It's time. 
He said, reclaim your praise. He said, we've forgotten how to praise. We've forgotten how to open up our mouth. He said, even though you have masks on, still make a joyful noise unto the Lord. As long as you still have breath in your body. As long as you have activity in your limbs. Somebody should be running right now because he's delivered you from something. He woke you up from something. And he started you on your way. Can the church say yeah? Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. 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 Anybody just reclaiming their praise? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, seal this. Seal this, seal this, seal this with the praise, seal this with the praise, seal this with the praise, hallelujah, thank you, hallelujah, hallelujah, thank you God, hallelujah, Thank you, God. Hallelujah.